I want to say it was a big dramatic moment and that my life changed forever with those words Abigail had spoken. But I'm afraid it was pretty anticlimactic. Frankly, I didn't think I heard her properly. I was still in a state of shock. I really can't stress this enough, but I had successfully conducted my life the last many years to pretty much remove surprise from it entirely, mostly by living an ever-decreasing life. When things would happen to me that were outside of my expected norms, I would generally respond with outrage. This, this was entirely different. I was used to walking around with a chip on my shoulder, constantly ready for an argument with my bartenders, with dealers, with my former doctors, the annoying people in the lines for food, for cleaning supplies, for every bit of shopping. All those people I had really hoped silently, but honestly would just take the CO3 option so I could get on with my life. These were all known situations. I had them uh, in my mind. I had felt them a thousand times. They were predictable, as well as my response. At no point since the world had decided to eliminate childbirth was I ever expecting to see not just one child, but a room of them. What? Was all I could say. Like an idiot. I don't, even, I don't even think I said the whole word. It was like all my energy and will to fight and get angry just deflated out of me, like a deflating balloon when it runs out of air. But it didn't take long for it to come back, the familiar desire to rage. But in this case, I just wanted to feel my anger without having to talk about it. I just wanted to leave right then and there, go home, and stew in it. Abigail was obviously lying. I couldn't have a granddaughter because I didn't even have a daughter because my wife had died. I was outraged that she, this woman, this Abigail, had in a roundabout way brought up my wife. I didn't want to talk to anyone about her. I felt trapped, caged. I needed to run. I had to get out of there. And then I collapsed. Thomas and Abigail, of course, came over to me quickly. I could hear them, but I couldn't see them. I was lost in memory. Maybe there hadn't been maliciousness in any of this. Abigail was just mistaken, that's all. The whole situation should have been laughed off as a misunderstanding. Sorry, Abigail, but you've got the wrong guy. I couldn't think through any of that, however, because my mind had betrayed me and had unlocked a slew of memories that all rushed back into my consciousness at once. Memories of Christine and I. Of wanting to have a child in the early years, to putting it off as we built our careers, to the anomaly, the conventional orders, to both of us getting the treatment and Christine eventually just disappearing. I wasn't prepared that day to have any of these memories foisted back on me. God, I needed a pill. I needed a drink. They got me to a chair and one of the children just sort of appeared standing there with a glass of water. I hadn't seen a kid in 15, 20 years, something like that, so its movements were foreign to me. The way it could just show up underfoot. I took the glass in both hands, warily. I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl, and frankly, I wasn't entirely sure I wanted to define it any further, to humanize it anymore. How far we had come, how successful our conventional orders had been, that it didn't occur to me that the child in front of me was even a person. I started to calm down. I noticed that Victoria was hiding behind Abigail, clinging to her lab coat. And actually, now I was really brought back into the moment. I hadn't noticed that both her and Thomas were wearing lab coats. What was this building, exactly? A school? A laboratory? A home? Was it, in fact, just a barn? 
were these wild animals. Say hello, Victoria, Abigail said, encouraging the girl with a shoulder rub. Hello, she said meekly, barely audible, and barely peeking out just enough that I could see her eyes. She had the brightest blue eyes. Hi, I replied. My throat was very dry and I realized I hadn't drunk anything. So I started to sip my glass before giving up and just throwing it back like it was a double shot. The child, Victoria, took the glass, turned and ran toward the far end of the hall. She was probably relieved to have a job to do. Victoria, that was a lovely name. I had tried to convince Christine years ago that it would make a perfect name for if we had a daughter. Marianne was also on the list, as was Elizabeth. Regal names, princesses, queens. I shook my head, trying to shake the memories loose so they'd fall into the oblivion of my mind. Your blood pressure is through the roof, Jack, Thomas offered. I hadn't noticed that he had hooked me up to a machine. Well, he's just had quite a shock, that's to be expected. Still, I'd like to check everything. Thomas took my blood, three or four vials of it. I couldn't remember the last time I had my blood taken, to be honest. I was surprised that I couldn't feel the needle, but then I realized I wasn't really feeling much of anything. I was numb. I wasn't really listening. I was watching Victoria. After she had disappeared with my glass, she had come back to her classmates. Is that what they were, classmates? Yes. Skipping the whole way. Were they her, her family, I wondered. I looked back over at the kids, who had rearranged their tables into a semicircle facing a large television, which seemed to be playing videos of teachers teaching at a chalkboard. I suppose that made sense. There wouldn't be any teachers left in the current world, and uh, so obviously no one would have taken on that career. Certainly no teachers for young children. She had wanted a child. We'd both wanted one but we couldn't get pregnant. We tried, we even went for fertility therapy. A friend of Christine's was a, uh, what do you call them? Um, a reproductive endocrinologist. Uh, yeah, and she had helped us for months, I recall. What was her name? Cynthia, Cindy, Serena, maybe? Yeah, I think it was Serena. I wonder if she had known if known actually what happened in the end to her. Yeah, I wonder if she, she knew that it eventually worked. Despite taking the treatment the government had mandated for us in the end, it seemed to have worked. I should find out, I thought. I should reach out to her. I didn't want to, but it made sense that Christine could have confided in her. I can't be here. I turned up to Abigail and interrupted their discussion of my vitals. I need to go home. Abigail knelt down in front of me. I'll take you back, but first, let's get you a drink. I hadn't expected her to offer that, if I'm honest. In fact, I hadn't actually thought of a drink in some time, pretty much since arriving at the farm that morning. But now that she mentioned it, I was overcome with the desire. We had moved back into the house, to the cluttered kitchen and living room area. The clutter took on a new meaning for me. There were two sewing machines, both surrounded by stacks of cloth. I suppose Abigail, and perhaps even Thomas, had to make the kids' clothes by hand. Knowing how many people lived uh, in that house, children and adults, the clutter started to make sense. I found my hands trembling, trying to hold the glass, 
and my thought was my usual strategy of just getting the first few gulps down and that would take care of the nerves. You're beginning to detox, she said. I don't have the resources to properly do that with you, so the safest thing is to give you some medicinal booze, as you called it. She waved the remaining bottle of vodka. The mind is an amazing thing. I felt calm again as we drove. I relaxed. I trusted Abigail. I didn't think she was lying, and something told me that it wasn't a mistake that she thought Victoria and I were related. I allowed myself the freedom to open back up the past. This was a past I thought I had neatly locked up and stowed away. But my past was now bleeding into my present, and I needed to figure out what the future would hold. What relationship would I end up having with this Victoria? The more I held the door to the past open, the more confused it became for me. Time and people and situations blurred and swirled around each other faster and faster the further back I tried to look. And then the nausea came, and the dizziness. I must have wheezed or looked terrible because Abigail took notice. She asked me if I thought I was going to faint again, concerned she had the car dial Thomas. I was just about to call you. Are you still with him? I finished the full profile workup, and he is certainly 100% Victoria's maternal grandfather. I knew it. I just, I can't explain it, but I knew it, and so this wasn't a surprise. Abigail just looked at me as much as she could while still driving. In the old days, people would say, congratulations, she joked. I just stared out the window. Are you okay? She continued. In truth, I was all over the map, sometimes nauseous, thinking about Christine, about our arguments, and then like a calming sedative thoughts of Victoria. I was utterly exhausted. He's taking it very well, Thomas's voice rang out throughout the car. There's more, though, we need to discuss. I'd like to ask you to consider turning around and coming back here. There are other health concerns. Well, it had been so many years since I had seen a proper medical doctor, I was sure he had found lots of things to discuss, all the more reason to avoid going back. Abigail said she'd call back after we talked, and the car hung up the call. We were about halfway, maybe a bit closer to the city. It seemed like forever before one of us spoke again. Eventually, she told me a story. She had graduated very young with a specialization in health services. I was right about her rough age. She was definitely in the last cohort to have grown up naturally in a family. This put her around 18. She was working at a large clinic in New York when a girl only a few years younger, maybe 13 to 15, came in. Abigail described her as looking like she had either grown up on the streets or in a war zone, and at the time both had seemed possible. She claimed that her mother had died and she knew she was very sick but had taken the treatment, she claimed, so never thought she could be pregnant. She was very far along, but barely showed. It would have been a very late-stage abortion, and no one felt enthusiastic to perform it. But the executive director of the clinic suggested that there were alternatives, that she should be admitted for an unrelated illness, and in the end, the child would not be documented. There were still lots of parts of the world where children were still being born, and the executive director would guarantee the child's safety. So Abigail falsified the records. She said her name was Madeline. Madeline, I thought. My daughter, Madeline. 
She left, Abigail continued. As soon as she could walk, she walked out. I never got to say goodbye or get any other information from her. Anyway, this all led to me meeting Thomas, and pretty soon I left New York City with him. Look, Jack, I think we should go back, right now. Thomas doesn't often sound so serious. I didn't reply, so I think she took that to mean she should just carry on. Perhaps Victoria would love to spend time with you, and I know you've got the time. Still, I said nothing. Yeah, well, we've got plenty of room at the house, clothes, uh, just for a few days until we can get everything settled and figure out our next move. Confidently, Abigail slowed and pulled over, about to make a three-point turn. Stop, I muttered softly. It seemed to startle her, to hesitate a bit, but didn't slow her down much. I put my hand on the wheel. She took the hint and put the car in park. For a few seconds, we just stared ahead. Aldwych was a few miles further ahead. You could see house lights and street lights on the horizon. Our next move, I said. There is no next move. I'm not ready for any of this. I feel like I haven't slept in forever. My head is swimming. You've told me I've got a family I never knew existed. I'm sore, I want to throw up, and I'm confused. Beyond anything else, I'm just confused. Confused in the head. I'm just not ready for any of this. A few days ago, I had a very simple and predictable life all worked out, right to the end. I knew exactly what it was all about, even when I was going to be wrapped up with it. Now everything is just in flux. Abigail laughed. Yes, flux. I like that. That's exactly what's happening, Jack. That's exactly how life is meant to be, in flux, and how we're meant to live it. Look, I said, I just need time. At the very least, I need to sleep in my own bed. I begged. Abigail started the car and drove off without saying another word. It was only just after six, but it was the dead of night. The streets were deserted. The bars were the only establishments open. Soldiers patrolling. I saw a couple of them, perhaps too relaxed with a group of civilians, passing a joint around the outsides of Helen's place, a thriving watering hole that had taken in many of the drug dealers who still sold experimentals. I had a pinch of shame and sadness for those inside getting completely obliterated. Or was it jealousy? I was right on the razor's edge between desperately wanting to join them and never wanting to see those kinds of people again. We pulled up to my house and Abigail made no attempt to turn off the car. She wasn't going to see me in. It was an awkward silence. She eventually ended. Whatever you do tonight, Jack, please don't take any Proxylin. You have some decisions to make and that stuff is not going to help you make them. I really felt I needed to say something to acknowledge the weight of what she had shown me that day. Thanks for the ride. It wasn't the right thing to say, but it was the best I could come up with at the time. You have to remember, I was using muscles I had not used in quite some time. Once inside, I wandered aimlessly from room to room around my house, not really able to sit still. I thought I was tired. I was tired, but I had this well of energy. Without thinking much, I found myself walking down my second floor hallway. I had a room near the end of the hall that I had locked up and avoided for years. Christine's room. 
I didn't want the reminder nor the pomp of devoting, quote, the room at the end of the hall to her, as I'd have to see it every day and night. For what she had done to me, how she had cheated me, cheated us, I demoted her to just a room toward the end of the hall. Still, I had avoided going into it for years. But tonight, I decided I was going to change all that. I wanted to see it, touch something of hers. For the first night in however long I could remember, I had wanted to remember and not to forget anymore. The door wasn't locked. I found that odd. I turned the handle and walked in. And to my surprise, it was empty. Now that sounds too dramatic. It wasn't empty, empty. There was the desk beneath the window, a couple of bookcases. There were some knickknacks, empty shoeboxes mostly. What wasn't in there, though, was some large sentimental cache of personal effects. I never had collected up any of those things. But when I stood in that room in which I had locked away my memories of Christine, more of her came back than ever before. We had wanted a daughter. We were going to name her Victoria. That was our top choice. My business was just showing signs of success. A series I'd conceived had been picked up by a major network. Abigail's work was putting the Institute of Aldwych U on the map. We were still young. We had each other, but we couldn't get pregnant. We tried, but it wouldn't happen for us. Everything else in our lives moved ahead. A series of good investments, some films and series from my company were constantly the talk of the town. The money was rolling in and I was spending more and more time out west or in Europe or even just in New York. I was spending more time away than in our beautiful house. And when I was around, I admit I was likely usually drunk. Christine, for her part, was doing really well too. If my increasingly selfish behavior had bothered her, she seemed to respond with the selfishness of her own. She had been promoted to the directorship of her lab, and though I was never entirely sure what the hell she was actually working on, it was taking up a lot more of her time. Sixty hours a week at the lab became the norm. At least, I think she was at the lab. To be honest, I remember considering that she may be sleeping around on me, and I remember thinking that I didn't care if she were. Talk of having a child had stopped by that point. It had become deprioritized. After the fertility treatments had failed and there was no explanation, but I remember not feeling too disappointed. I had put that energy into myself, nurturing and raising my ever-growing ego. Then the anomaly. Then the astronomers found with their telescopes a little speck of dust in the sky that turned out to be a rock as big as the state. And what did they call it? Uh, the period of uncertainty. That's what some folks had... Uh, loosely called it. If we didn't all turn savage and kill each other off with clubs, the ultimate club from the sky would smash the planet to pieces. Considering how opposed Christina had been to the general proclamations, I had been surprised at the time by how enthusiastically she had signed on to the mass castration plans. Oh, I hate that word, castration. What did we call it? We had a better term for it, something a little more palatable. Did this give her the guilt-free right to screw around? Was she relieved I couldn't burden her with a child? In any case, we both went for the treatment when our numbers uh, were called and the army escorts had come. I had become pretty vocal in my support of anything we could do to control our own destiny. I went off for an extended trip to sell some assets to a longtime hedonistic friend or enemy. 
Yeah, he had wanted an outlet for his rantings, and I figured no matter what was going to happen, I didn't want to be bogged down with actual work. When I had returned a few weeks later, Christine was gone. Along with her belongings, computers, materials from her study, her car, gone. She had left a note, but I, I can't go into that right now. I remember I got really drunk that night, pacing the hallways. I remember taking pictures down, clearing out drawers, cabinets in the bathroom. I was looking for anything with her name on it, her scent on it, her fingerprints on it. I was on a mission to get rid of it all, to purge her from this house. Looking around the room toward the end of the hall that night, I marveled at how successful I had been. I wanted a drink. I needed a drink. I had the thought, too, that I had no Proxilin left. I checked my watch. It was a Tuesday. How was it already Tuesday? No matter. I knew where I could go to get some and to get a drink. Would Abigail be there, though? Had I agreed not to use that night? Why was, I, why was I suddenly concerned? That gave me pause. If I went to the bar, would Abigail be working or is she on her way back to the farm? To her Thomas and those children. Did she cook for them all? Was she essentially their nanny or mother? Who was Victoria to her? What was Thomas to any of them? What did Victoria like to eat? Would she have a sweet tooth like me? Would she be a vegetarian like her grandmother? I found myself in the kitchen without really meaning to be. I was going through the refrigerator, the cupboards, while my head swirled with these questions. I decided I'd focus on solving one problem at a time. I was extremely hungry. I decided I'd eat and then go to the bar. Even with my considerable resources, I wasn't able to acquire much meat these days, nothing beyond the standard allotment. It was all frozen solid. But I did have tinned soups. Creamed soups, my favorite. I had to wipe out the inside of a pot before putting it on the stove. It hadn't been used in so long. I ate a can of, I think, cream of broccoli. I ate it so quickly it was hard to tell which particular flavor it was. How many days had it been since I had even eaten? Finding myself even more hungry, I opened another can. I should have asked more questions when I was there, I thought. How old was she? The simplest question in the world, and it hadn't occurred to me. What more could they have told me about her mother, about my daughter? What was her name? Oh, yes, Madeline. That was a good name. Had Christine given that to her? If she had, that, that, was, a, that was a good name. I didn't go looking when Christine left. I didn't even try calling her. I remember being so annoyed more than anything personally offended, put out by the dramatics of it all. I figured she would come back, or at least initiate some contact. But after a few days had gone by and she hadn't reached out, I got very angry. In a blackout, maybe my first real blackout, I had called the ambulance on myself. I was in a lockdown ward for a week because of that, and that's how I got my first order for Proxilin. A few weeks went by and I got a call from Marcus Green, the president of the university. Christine was dead. There had been an explosion at her lab. The building itself had been obliterated. I wasn't able to deal with any of the responsibilities that came with that news, but thankfully Marcus and the university were going to handle everything. All I had to do was just show up to the funeral. I spent the rest of that week in a drugged and 
booze-fueled haze. I distinctly remember either attending the service or not, but fantasizing that I had. In either case, I was too embarrassed to inquire afterwards, and I never had any further contact with the university. I thought I should look up Marcus, too. You know what? I think uh, I need to talk to him as well. I finished my second can of soup and was starting to feel satiated, but I was thirsty as hell. I did want a drink, but first I really just felt so parched I needed water. It felt good drinking that water earlier that day at the farm with all those children. I decided I'd guzzle down another glass of it, and then I'd go out. When could she have even given birth, I thought. I found myself in my office. I sighed, briefly seeing the gift basket from the funeral Abigail had given me sitting on the floor. I wish that I could remember that funeral, or that service. Then again, I was probably a wreck, so perhaps it was a gift not to have those memories. I rooted around in my desk, finally producing an old notebook. The desk lamp, the only light on in the house. I had this shorthand process when writing in my notebooks, asking myself questions and answers. Back when I was an active writer, story consultant, whatever you call it, uh, I had written out two pages worth of them without even thinking. What was Victoria's favorite color? What was her last name? Where did she think she came from? Did she know her mother? Her father? I paused. Why had the treatment failed? Had Christine not actually gone through with it? Had her friend, the OBGYN, somehow cooked this up? I wrote down Serena's name and circled it, along with Marcus's. I'd be reaching out to both. The questions continued to flow through me with ease now. How many other farms were there? Had she even died in that lab explosion? What was her favorite food? What did she know of me? What was I doing? Uh, that last question, that snapped me out of it. I was interested. My mind had been piqued. I was engaged. I was thinking. That's what I was doing. I was curious and wanted to know more. I didn't know how else to really describe it, but at that moment, I felt excited to see tomorrow. For years now, I hated tomorrow. I feared it in every sense, and the only way I could bear it was by seeking oblivion every night, partly dreading the idea of having to wake up again to face the dying world around me, but far too cowardly to take action myself. But sitting there in the office I had barely been in for years, surrounded by memories of a life I'd given up living a long time ago, I made a very simple decision. I texted Abigail, when can you pick me up tomorrow? I felt relieved. I felt clear-headed, focused. I was excited and anxious, but not afraid. And I felt tired, more tired than thirsty for alcohol. I figured I could actually sleep tonight, too, without even needing a drink or a pill. I laid down on the leather couch in my office. As I stretched out, beginning to sweat and generally feel the effects of detox setting in, I asked myself, why had I trusted Abigail? The answer, as I went to sleep, occurred to me, and it was simple. I trusted her because I wanted her to be right. I wanted all of this to be true.
Stories at the End of the World is an original production written and performed by me, Sean Lahane. It's a bi-weekly speculative fiction anthology series. To learn more, check out the links in the show notes below.